0: I'm Abhijat Saraswith and this is Fringe Legal, a collection of conversations with innovators on how to put ideas into practice. Each episode is a discussion with a change maker who shares their ideas, insights, and lessons from their journey. Welcome to another episode of Fringe Legal. The frequent discussions around transformation, digitization, and innovation, All with a view to ponder, what is the future of work? Well, today we start our episode with that very question with regards to law firms and legal teams, and then only go deeper from there. Explore how work might be delivered, the role that technology will play, why disrupt the status quo, and why now? My guest today is Matt Cotney, a seasoned... C-level product and technology executive, entrepreneur, advisor, author, and speaker with 25 years of experience helping businesses and technology work better together. He has led divisions and portfolios for large global corporations, co-founded three companies and advised several others, Being an early stage employee of two successful tech startups, advised dozens of businesses and technology professionals across all stages of company formation and growth, and launched over a dozen successful products matt is particularly well suited for this conversation because of his experience as a c-suite leader at a large law firm and his adjacent industry experience here is my conversation with matt coatney matt thank you for coming on fringe legal i'm so excited for you to be a guest today
1: Thanks, Ab. It's great to be here. I look forward to our conversation and great to see you again.
0: I've read your book. I've recently been listening to the podcast, both of the same name, The Human Cloud, uh, and the podcast, which I think has a subtitle of The Funnest Podcast on Leadership, definitely is a fun podcast. I feel like I know you, I think as the case is with podcasts, just having you having Conversations with the other Matt, your co-host. I feel like I have a much deeper understanding of your life, how you think, and everything else. Yeah, I think this should be a fun conversation. Good, good.
1: And it has been a blast. I've had so much fun doing it and I'm reaching a certain age where I don't have much shame anymore. So I'm happy to share all of my foibles and, and just having a lot of fun with it. So I'm glad that you're enjoying it and hopefully learning a few things along the way as well.
0: Absolutely. So this conversation was triggered um from Learning about your book, for me at least, and The Human Cloud, which is all on the all, but it's largely about the future of work. That's a central theme of that. You've worked in corporate. You work at a law firm now. And as I think I mentioned to you in, in our previous discussions, as I listened to your audio book, the thought that kept going through my mind, how does all of this work in a law firm environment? Because I can certainly see how this may work in a, in some different industries. I have reservations about the professional services industry as a whole in sort of flexibility and the thinking about the future of work. So maybe let's start there to you. What is the future of work broadly? And then we can winnow down from there towards the law firm sector.
1: Sure. Yeah. And I, when I think about the future of work, I, I think about it in two different camps that are complementary. And, and one is definitely the delivery up work. So the staffing models that the, how we do work as it relates to full-time employment consultants and contractors, freelancers, et cetera. And so there's that whole component and we can dive into that, that I do think has some applicability to law just in a, maybe a little bit of a different way than in other industries, but the whole other half of that, and where my background comes in is much more around technology. So how does technology change the way that we're delivering work and, and. We talk quite a bit about that in in the book, about the knowledge economy, the rise of machine learning and automation and how those intersect, particularly in a knowledge-based industry like law.
0: Yeah. So curious to hear, we'll focus briefly on the delivery of work, and then I think we'll probably end up spending majority of the time on the technology side. I'm curious, how how do you think the models shift with the delivery of work in law and of course, we've heard the debates about available hour and all of those things for oh, decades. And so all those things are changing. We've had individuals on the show before that have talked about a subscription model, for example, for a law firm. I've written and spoken about the unbundling of law firms. How do you see the, f- the work being delivered in the future? Does it change radically or just slowly, gradually evolves?
1: I think it does change radically. And, and we've already seen some of the first signs of that over the last couple of years. When I think about delivery at work, we have shifted as a society away from routinized, repeatable kind of work that would be administrative, it's manufacturing, it's these kind of things that are relatively routinized and you just follow the blueprint and then scale that out. And we've seen this gradual trend toward much more project-based work that are, you have a goal, a set of deliverables, you have an approach, you have a team and you form to do that. You complete and then you, and you move on. And what is striking is we in law talk about matters and we talk about matters and we're delivering the practice of law and all of that. And really what we're doing is delivering thousands and thousands of projects each year as a law firm. That's all it is at at its simplest. And so all of the techniques that other industries use to better manage projects we absolutely as an industry, as a profession should be doing the same thing. And, and so I do, I think there's a lot more applicability for alternative staffing, for instance, and we do this today with contract attorneys on large cases. Same kind of model would apply, let's say with a freelancer being brought on to teams. And so that, that kind of like how we staff our
0: projects, there's a lot more applicability than first might seem. Yeah, and there is both significant changes happening there and also significant opportunities in the future because there started to be a shift of certainly the attorneys going from the world of practice into something else, whether it's innovation, whatever that may mean at your firm, uh, knowledge management, technology, right? So you're seeing much more of the legal technologist uh, coming through and actually majority of the legal technologists aren't what you might imagine a technologist to be. They are not those that have a deep understanding of computer science basics, right? They're not coming from the development background. They're coming from a practice background, but they see the opportunity for technology in making an impact. And they're bringing a lot of their domain level expertise and marrying it with a, a not as deeper level of expertise, and I'm generalizing, of course, in technology, but, and that's having a shift now. And I think that happens way more in the future as there is an increased amount of specialists available from freelancers. And I know this is a big focus for the book, but you'll see many more freelancers, very specialized freelancers available for work in a law firm.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. What we're seeing is, and this trend actually, translates well into other industries also it's not unique to to law but with a lot of the what's dubbed the great recession and this great rethinking of what work is and how we approach it you're finding that there are what used to be considered alternative career paths for lawyers actually becoming simply career paths for lawyers and it, it's everything from legal technology to specialization in particular kinds of law to generalists uh, to project managers and leaders so it's It really runs the the gamut. And what's exciting to see about that is it's turning into more of a mature corporation versus this sort of loose tribal collaboration of disparate practice groups. And I think there are some that fear for that, that it might somehow taint or ruin what is good with the law, but I I don't see it that way. I think it's a natural
0: evolution and it's healthy. I think so. And usually the telltale sign is you see anything that has a word alternative, and slowly that just erodes away to just being that, right? And we saw that with uh, ALSP, the alternative legal service provider. And that now they're just another type of legal service provider that you have when, an option to use. That's a good segue into thinking about how technology fits into this. And I know you have um, plenty to say about a number of topics here, uh, AI, analytics, and so on. AI, I think gets discussed quite a lot in the media. So I, I may shy away from that a little bit, but I'm curious about as you think about the business side of a firm. So if you treat the law firm as a business, which they are, they don't often seem that way sometimes because of the ownership structure. But as you think about that, how do you think technology plays a role there? And, you know, how do you see that changing? And I'm thinking more with regards to things like data and analytics more. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Something that has been on my mind for I've been in industry, I've been in technology for about 25 years now and law for coming up on 15 at this point. And early on, I remember being at the KM conference or at ILTA and all this conversation about how data was going to change the law firm and and the law firm of the future and those types of things. And it felt like it was just around the corner. And then the great recession happened and then like, this is it. This is the opportunity that the disruptive nature of this, it's going to tear the legal indices, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And, and then, you know, four years later, not much had changed. I'm a little, a little bit more optimistic now that I think that the the pandemic has been a great reset for many, including lawyers and law firm uh, leadership to to really look at things anew and what may not have triggered, a recession didn't trigger the kind of change we had hoped for, but this may well. And, and what it looks like to me is it's applying a lot of the technology that other industries have used for solid project management, strategy, financial sense. It's all of the kinds of tools. There's nothing new that I think we need to invent, but it's leveraging these capabilities inside a law firm. And that can look like uh, practice management and collaboration software and things like running a sprint, like an agile a uh, sprint board, a combine, whatever you want to call it, that helps you manage the work better. I've seen a lot more interest in the last couple of years than ever before. A lot of just good old-fashioned financial data reporting. How What's our budget for this matter or project? How are we doing to it? It does not need to be super complex and novel and disruptive innovation to get the job. But I will say most of the firms that I've worked with in my 15-year uh, career of consulting two law firms, A lot of firms still aren't doing this well, not nearly as well as they could. And there's a lot of um, data that they're just not taking
0: advantage of. It's stuck in silos or it's not being reported on. So a whole plethora of questions off the back of that. So (laughs) let's go back, let's go back to the initial point that you made. So what do you think is different now than let's say four years ago? And I agree with you, right? There was, there has been plenty of talk about the importance of data because It's not a novel thing. It's not some crazy hypothesis someone's making. We can see the benefits of it. But yes, COVID was a reset. But what do you think has changed in people's mindset? Because that's really what it takes. Someone sees, okay, this is now finally valuable enough that we should do something about it sooner rather than later. Do you think there's been a trigger that's causing that? or
1: I think... I think so. For me, it has to do with comfort. Like, comfort is the enemy of of property. Basically, (laughs) basically. I'm doing anything. That's right. (laughs) Absolutely. So, if you're a law firm and no matter what you do, you continue to raise your rates four, five, 6%, whatever every year, you're flush with business, you're busy. There's no, what's the incentive? And if that were me too, what's the incentive? Everything's going well. Put a few more percent in your pocket. This may not be enough to work an extra you know, 10 hours a week or whatever it might be. So there was a comfort, I think, within the industry that even while clients tightened their belts, they didn't do so in such a way that firms really suffered. And I don't think firms are suffering right now either. It hasn't changed. What I think is changing is it's the expectation of the lawyers and that they got a taste of what life outside of an 80 hour week in the office look. It's really hard to put that G back in the bottle. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, we were yeah. talking about that before we started. The, yeah. You're working a 16 hour day. You can do that at a sprint, but if you're being asked to do that week after week,
0: for sure. Yeah, yeah, and I think it's finding that balance. Yeah, I agree. And it, it reminds me, I had a, I got called on by a firm earlier this year to give a presentation on innovation, and it was part of the corporate heartless meeting, and they wanted to know, you know, how they can change in all of these things, and my take, my Before I even told them, A, I don't have the answers, because if I did, my life would look very different, I'm sure. I don't think anyone has the exact answers for every firm. But it's to your point, as I told them, this was a large firm. I'm standing in front of a group of millionaires that have very healthy profit margins. And you're asking me to tell you what you should do different that completely disrupts a good thing for you. I'm happy to do that, but just know of the ask that you're making, you have to do it because otherwise your margins will not remain healthy forever and you should do something about it now rather than when you have to. But yeah, to your point, I think the comfort level maybe is shifting because as we get a, a newer generation of uh, practitioners, their demands of setting the processes in place so they get healthy margins at the wider the time they become partners i think that's what's happening and perhaps even driven a little bit by the corporate legal teams
1: yes yes and here are absolutely right. I, I do think that the more innovative firms aren't again they're not doing something necessarily out of left field that seems crazy right They're, but they're being thoughtful about this they're investing in the right areas with an eye toward the future because there it's the old Gretzky quote, you're stating to where the puck is going, not where it is. And and I do worry if you, if you look at all the trends, look at all the trends in technology and employment and staffing and so forth, they don't move in the right direction for a firm to continue to do what they're doing, status quo, and thrive.
0: For sure. You talked about data and one of the challenges being today that the data is sitting in different silos, right? That isn't going to get resolved immediately never does yeah, never does how are you seeing that data starting to be better utilized and one of the things certainly i hear a lot about i haven't seen yet the outcome successful outcome is the increase in pricing analytics to so understanding what your clients are comfortable paying for are you and to your point these are standard things in most other industries can you track if the work that you're doing is actually profitable? Is it on time? And are you going continuously out of scope for what you set at the beginning? I've seen a lot of legal pricing teams set up in law firms. I'm not sure if I've seen too much about the successes they've had yet, and it might just be early days, but I'm not sure if you're hearing a lot more about that too.
1: Yeah, no, definitely. I am I have seen some successes in, in actually a number of different firms, and I spent some time as a data analytics kind of person. I've spent some time in the pricing space and have a number of colleagues there. It has far improved from where we were maybe five or seven years ago. And it, it really focuses right to what you were talking about, which is just better, better gathering and reporting of basic metrics, not nothing fancy, nothing nothing sophisticated, but just do we have a budget? Yes. Okay. How is that budget shaping up? And then reporting on how we're tracking and most importantly, estimates to complete, because it's one of those, if you have a budget, that's $2 million and you're like, okay, we're at 1.7 million. So we're still under budget. How much work do you have left? One, 1. 1.2 million. <laughs> so you have to ask that question, but it, but it's amazing how many have neglected to track that. When I think about data more broadly, it, it, a lot of it boils down to use cases. And I am, I am very supportive of an iterative approach. I came from other industries where we built these massive data warehouses and spent millions of dollars in years that will fly in a law firm The the, the gap between the, the spend of the money and the value it's producing is too great. So start smaller, identify a specific couple of use cases build out a data mark, data lake, what do you want to call it, but some subset that meets that need right. and then grow it organically over time. And I, I will say the the two areas that I'm seeing a lot of interest around analytics now, holistically that that weren't there maybe five years ago, definitely a lot of the business development front and the experience. Yeah. And that's always been a need that search engines and others and KM systems have tried to meet, but it's still a it's still a necessity. And I think it's becoming more so in these, this era as things get more competitive, so that, and then also contract analytics, the, the first two decades of this century were of the e-discovery decades, and I see a definite tilt toward contract as evidenced by all the spend there
0: yeah yeah for sure significant spend in the market there and i think that will probably level out at some point where i do see a number of uh, players and so, the two points what is separate biz dev and experience was one or separate for you
1: oh uh, i'd say i i include them as more
0: that's yeah they're there
1: and that's a great point i'm seeing more interest now again because of the i think the space that we're now in and and where we are as a society, the experience both comes in to win the work, but then also in the delivery of the work, we as a profession now are thinking a lot more about how we staff our matters in an equitable way, in a way that builds the talent we need, as opposed to just throwing more bodies at a a project.
0: For sure. And I think so much of that is about packaging it as well. So I'm seeing a big shift in how law firms are packaging the delivery of the service as we we are going to start becoming a bit more honed in on what you're looking to accomplish from the client side. What, are you, what problem are you actually looking to solve? Before I was just like, okay, so you've told us a problem statement. We're not gonna dig in any deeper. Here's everything we can possibly create for you. And hopefully some of this is helpful accompanied by a large bill. Mm-hmm. Now, both from the client side and the firm side, because they're being mindful about staffing, they're asking more pointed questions about, okay, go one or two levels deeper than this problem statement. What do you want today? And how would you like us to deliver this? That's going to be meaningful. And not every firm is doing that and not every attorney is doing this and every team doing this, but the teams that stand out to me are those, right, that are asking those questions. How will you deliver this to your board? Do you need us to give you some slides or do you want a Excel workbook or do you want a... Written opinion, whatever it might be, before it was have all three, and hopefully this together has some information. But you have to do the work to put it together.
1: Yes, I think there is a there is a lot to learn by looking at adjacent industries, particularly professional services, managed management consulting. Think your Accenture's, Deloitte's, uh, they do this really well. They're a couple of decades ahead of us because they had a moment where they were forced to shift from a partnership model into a corporation model, leave all the auditors behind and stand on their own two legs. And it was hugely disruptive, but out of that came a lot of really good thinking about everything from how they use data to how they organize and manage sort of a hub spoke with a really strong centralized brand and process. Many spokes of practices, there's lots of lessons that we
0: can learn as an industry. We just need to go ask. And And I think there's enough, there's enough out there about this. And I I know some of the posts I've seen from you on LinkedIn, which are, I follow now intently cover this, Uh, I I try and cover this because you're right. There's it's really challenging to come up with a brand new way of doing something. I think there's just a challenge of awareness. Are you aware or is the solution that you're looking for? Have they done enough to create awareness around that they can solve this problem and just looking at it and then adapting it for your own needs. Yeah. Bringing
1: people in from professional services organizations, I mean, right. management consulting is a great way. There is a learning gap and it takes, I went through it myself. The first time I went into a law firm, it's it's a year to two for someone fresh to the industry to figure their way around. But once they do, they become hugely valuable because they understand both worlds.
0: Perfect. Uh, I'm conscious of time. So I'm gonna shift gears and go towards at uh, some fire questions, your answers don't have to be short and quick fire at all. But I wanted to touch on some of these things because for me, I'm very curious about what the future of a law firm looks like and just as we think about a future firm and we try and build towards this hard to achieve, maybe impossible to achieve perfect firm, what do you think today in your experiences? What is the secret source for a successful firm or if you want a legal department, whatever your experience might be?
1: For sure. Going back to what we were just talking about in the management consulting world, some of the things that they do well that I think law firms can do well, and I see some more progressive law firms doing that is, they have a very cohesive identity and strong corporate structure as a starting point. So moving away from a loose confederation of practices into something that is more cohesive it is really it, it leverages the economies of scale that a large firm can provide much much better. And I think the same goes for a corporate legal department. You can have a sub culture within the broader organization, but you have to have that strong identity because otherwise people can and will peel off at will at the next good opportunity and you lose a lot of institutional knowledge. So that's one. And the, I think that the pricing model, the delivery model, that data analytics you use should all be tailored to the type and needs of the work. So it, it's not a one size fits all when it comes to that, but you should absolutely have templates and best practices and structure around that to take advantage of so it's I talk about when I think about matters I think about the large complex ones the sort of high volume individual ones like a state planning or startup fund but then in the middle the great middle which are moderately complex having approaches for each of those three is much much easier than having 27 different approaches for every single Mm -hmm. customized practice group you might have Um, yeah Short answer is a lot long a lot more closely aligned with a management consulting firm. I
0: think that's fair. And I think I, I'm a big, I'm a big geek. So I was watching the Google presentation yesterday and they unveiled some new phones and all this kind of stuff and their new operating system. And Google has this thesis as a company, as a business around ambient computing, right? They want to be everywhere that their users are, which is everywhere. And for them, the idea is technology should be accessible regardless of the medium. So whether it's voice touch or something else. Mm-hmm. And as you think about not a one size all, my mind immediately went to them because one of the things they've done in the new operating system is they give you the foundations of it, but it adapts to your preference. So for them, it's a simple thing as we've created this operating system. As you change the wallpaper on your phone, all of the UI elements change color programmatically right so they're using some machine learning there to identify the contrast and everything else so it looks like a completely different experience but it has a strong back end and i think that's obviously it's somewhat easier to do in a consumer space i say easy it was (laughs) tongue-in-cheek but i think in in a professional setting that's much harder to achieve but you're right that you know that way you get the same level um, of quality but it doesn't feel like it's just cookie cutter and it came off it came off a production line sort of strong core adaptable periphery or whatever you want to call it that's and then i guess as you think about a perfect law firm and uh, this mythical being what does that look like to you i want this to be purposefully open and broad take this in whichever direction you hmm. you want to
1: i think that there is uh, what's going to be realistically what the law firm of the future looks like and, and i would add i some of my in fact i'm married to a lawyer totally different kind of practice than the kind of work that we're talking about. She's in family law and a magistrate, but I have lots of friends that are lawyers, both corporate and otherwise, and brilliant people, much more approachable and warm than one might think. <laughs> so, but I guess what I would say is it's a firm that empowers them to do their best work and really immerse with their client. And again, back to that sort of the management consulting man, really be that trusted partner across the board. And I do think that that as a profession, they have in the past created this barrier, this wall to say, if it's a legal matter, talk to me. Anything else? yeah. And, and I'm seeing some of the better firms and the better lawyers pivot into being business advisors who also happen to know law. And, and so I think the more that we see that, the more valuable they will be, the, the sturdier the firm will be. And it will buffet against some of the commoditization of law that we're seeing with technology and other service providers. It provides a a barrier or at least a moat against some of those threats.
0: Yeah. And then how does that impact the experience? So we take our time machine into the future to 2050. No one knows what it's going to be like, but what do you think is the experience uh, as a client, right? How does that differ then than what it is today?
1: I see it being a much tighter relationship. So it could be we're establishing and again i'm going back to other industries we're establishing a blanket arrangement that's a multi-year multi-million dollar arrangement between us that's set aside let's get down to work and then you become a sort of a natural organic extension of the client and because the partners don't really want to think about and talk about hours and bills and credits than anybody else and we have created this tension with e-billing and the cat and mouse game of time entries and all that that's getting in the way of everybody delivering value to each other so yeah i, I do think that there is a point in time where those fall by the wayside and we have a much more productive relationship
0: Yep, well, that that sounds like a, a good place to be perfect and then i guess in in wrapping up one of the last questions i had is a asking you to put your technologist hat on a little bit what are you seeing in in the legal industry specifically as trends? It could be applications. It could be certain problems are cropping up more. And just one, I'll throw out as something I'm hearing is around work allocation, right? Capacity management. That's certainly something that's uh, pertinent, especially as you talked about the great uh, resignations that's going on right now. So, yeah, w- what are you seeing? What are you hearing? What are you keeping your finger and pulse on?
1: Yeah, the ones we already talked about work management, project management, contract. So we're seeing a lot of work in the contract space as technology comes to maturity there and a lot of it's nothing terribly uh, exciting, but it's critically important is the virtual and hybrid meeting experience as we all, particularly lawyers, figure out what this means. And so we're seeing a lot of interest and investment in better ways to do that in an inclusive way. So that's all well and good. I love advanced tech as well. So. My day job is doing, you know, the blocking and tackling it. But then I really think about as far out what's out there. I would love to see, and there's been some inroads in this, a consolidated knowledge management chatbot kind of experience that takes all of the content that's in a firm, synthesizes it and makes it readily accessible. All, all the pieces are there, but the interest in the investment and the privacy concerns and everything, we just haven't gotten to the point of actually making that a reality. But that's my moonshot. That's where I'd love to see us go.
0: Yeah, I think, I know a number of firms have attempted something like that, but it's getting the different systems to talk to each other. And of course, as you mentioned, then the big blocker there is privacy right you need to be able to have verification i know i can't remember which firm it was but i know a number of firms have created recipes i think that's what they call for alexa amazon's yes uh, what service and you can ask it for certain things but then you need to be able to verify that it's the right individual because we're of course talking about extremely sensitive information so yeah i think that is certainly certainly something that goes there
1: we're seeing one of the things that that's exciting to me and I, i use this story often Back in the 2000s, when I was at a legal software provider, uh, we spent about 18 months and about a million and a half, $2 million in investment to build a new version of a knowledge management system. Okay, not bad. Actually, we were pretty proud of ourselves because the last team had spent probably 20 million on it. But it was still, it meant that the barrier to entry for a mid sized firm was still. It was a wall too high. Fast forward to a couple of years ago, I had my, uh, I was at a data analytics startup out of industry, but we built almost the same exact solution for higher ed researchers. So think news, newspaper archives, things like that. We built it in about two months and 30 grand in investment. Just, it's shocking. And that was two, three years ago. So the technology I think is getting to the point where that pervasive knowledge operating system is becoming more of a reality in the next, I'd say three to five years.
0: Yeah, and I think you and I maybe have talked about this before. I'm extremely bullish on no-code tools sending out of industry. And I, I, as someone who is not a developer, it's amazing how quickly I'm able to mock up a fully working, it's not a prototype, it's an actual solution using the bubble and the softest of the world and having a base in Airtable and Notion, all these things. It's amazing. And how long that process used to take me to just mock up an idea. Even a year ago, was, it's amazing how quickly that space is evolving. And I think some of that is starting to come into legal. It's not at the same level of maturity yet, but I have great hopes because that means that you're able to prototype solutions so much more quickly and iterate to your point and have sprints where you can actually get to the end state so much sooner. Absolutely. So I think be awesome. Yes. Um, and talk about, uh, you talked about virtual and hybrid environments, uh, absolutely extremely important really hard to achieve inclusion. And when you have those settings, have you seen anything that works? Uh, Have you found anything that works for your firm? The
1: feedback that we have heard from, and this is just not our firm, but I've I've canvassed other firms as well. The feedback from the associates is that virtual and hybrid has improved inclusivity, not reduced. And the big reason is because the partner that's working with them, is just a box on a screen like they are. So they found that they are getting more FaceTime with clients, they're being able to engage more their relationships growing and they're growing in their careers better than when they were in the office because you'd say, oh, we can't have you in the room. It's too crowded. And I've seen that in my own career. Like I, I was kept out of, as I think a lot of G- people are kept out of important meetings because of optics and that's limiting out, uh, opportunity. So the thing I will say is that it seems simple, but we call it the Brady Bunch view, the grid view, right? just the tiles go a long way in making a conference room slash hybrid, uh, virtual meeting work together because no one wants to be the six foot head on the screen up front. So getting those grids in place, is, it's simple, but has made a big difference. I think just practice, honestly. I think you've probably been doing this for some time. I've been doing some form of virtual meetings
0: for 15 years.
1: Yeah, It's second nature at this point.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. And uh, no, it's good to get that inside because I've heard something similar, I've heard both sides and it depends on who you talk to, but I think as we, and to me, the test will be as more and more people start going back into the office. How do you create that environment where Mm -hmm. some people are meeting in person, probably the more senior people and some are joining virtually and not just on our side, but also on the client side. How do you make sure that everyone, you don't just forget about the person who's dialed in? Because that was the problem before, right? Someone's dialed in, you forget about them and they may be the most important person in that room or have the answers, but they're just on mute or something. Yes,
1: and having done, I've been in you know the office 100% of the time, I've been hybrid and I've been, I ran a service team, not just was a member, but ran a team that were all in one office and I was remote right. uh, at home. And so there are definitely techniques that help manage that or bridge that gap, but it is something you need to be mindful in that. I think for most people, the hybrid sort of a couple days a weekend, couple days, a week out based around when it makes sense to be one place or the other, like that solving for that on an organic level, generally yields the best outcomes versus mandating always in half and
0: always out, whatever. Yeah. yeah, for sure. Perfect. And we're going to start wrapping up. So I know that if people want to find out more about the book there, they can search for the human cloud book. And that links to that there's also the human cloud podcast, which I highly recommend both of those sources, but if they want to get in touch with you. What's the best place, LinkedIn or elsewhere? LinkedIn is definitely the best.
1: I'm on it way too often. It is, it is my wife teases me. It is my Facebook. I'm out there, Matt Coatney, uh, not that many of us out there. There is a, I think the Nebraska corn Huskers, women's basketball like, announcer is also a
0: Matt Coatney. So
1: I'm not that person.
0: <laughs> All right. Yep. So don't go for the announcer. Go for the author, the <laughs> TED speaker, and the, the one with more from experience. You got Definitely. it. You got it. All right, Matt. Thank you so much for coming on. It was such a fun conversation. Thanks, Sam. I really appreciate it. So that's it for today. I hope you enjoyed listening to that conversation as much as I did recording it. Before you go, if you like the show, then I know you'll love the French Legal Newsletter full of interviews, articles, and reports to help legal innovators like yourself learn how to put ideas into practice and find success. You can sign up for free at fringelegal.com. This show was produced for Fringe Legal by Abhijat Saraswiff. A special thanks to our guest. And if you enjoyed the conversation, you can help me out by giving this podcast a five-star review and click that follow or subscribe button on your favorite podcast player of choice. Until next time, stay well.